And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to The Athletic Baseball Show. We're coming to you early with the mailbag edition this week with the trade deadline looming Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. We want to get you as much content as possible before the deadline hits. So this edition of the mailbag with me, Tim McMaster, and Ken Rosenthal is being recorded late Saturday night after Ken just covered the Nationals game with the Cardinals in D.C. Hopefully no deals are struck between now and when I'm done editing and publishing the episode. Then Starkville with Jason and Doug will publish Monday afternoon with Jim Bowden as the guest talking more about the deadline and then Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris will live stream on YouTube starting at 530 Eastern on Tuesday. That will become the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Baseball Show. Check out the description of this episode if you want that YouTube link. All right, that's enough disclaimers. Ken, you covered the Nationals game tonight and Juan Soto played as a member of the Nationals. You interviewed him before the game for Fox as well. He is still a National. Luis Castillo is a Mariner. There's a lot going on. There is, Tim. And first off, I want to thank you for taping this so late on a Saturday night. It's not the easiest situation, but I thought it was the best way to avoid getting swamped by news. So (laughs) here we are. Now, I did talk to Soto before the game, and if you watch the interview... There's no question he's a little frustrated with the whole situation. It's gone on for two weeks now. And he doesn't know how this is going to end. None of us know how this is going to end. It is quite possible the Nationals do not trade him. And this becomes a story again in the offseason. Now, I know one thing he said some people took exception to, which is that the decision is out of my hands. And I think what he meant was that the trade decision is out of his hands. Clearly, yes, he could sign a contract extension tomorrow, and that would be that. He didn't. And he turned down the deal, the $440 million, 15-year deal. And I asked him about that, and I asked him to explain it a little bit. And he didn't really explain much about it, which is absolutely his right. And there are still a couple of curious things about that to me. Now, yes, the AAV was low. We've talked about that. And yes, there is concern about the future of the Nationals. They are for sale. You don't know who the new owner is going to be. You don't know how long it's going to take this team to get back to contention. They're the worst team in the majors right now with Juan Soto. So I can understand his hesitation. I can understand him wanting to become a free agent. That is a right that all players work toward. And when you get to six years, you get that right. He is two-plus years away. However... If he truly wanted to stay, if that was his objective, that could have been arranged. And you could have addressed the uncertainty with the team's future by opt-outs. Soto's agent, Scott Boris, has negotiated a few opt-outs in his day, if I'm not mistaken. 
And also, you could have negotiated perhaps a better AAV, even a higher guarantee. The Washington Post reported, and I later heard as well, there was no counter from Scott Boris and Juan Soto. They just simply rejected three different offers. And again, people need to understand that they're absolute right. They don't have to sign a deal. But at the same time, if he truly wanted to stay, I'm sure there's a way that he could have countered and negotiated and maybe got the deal to a better place where he could have stayed. His absolute right once more not to do that. So that is where we are. Will he be traded? That's the question of the hour. And I'm a little less bullish on it than I was maybe a week ago when I thought for sure this was going to happen. I thought the momentum was too strong. But I still wonder, especially in the wake of the Luis Castillo deal, and I'm going to get to that in a second, whether any team will offer enough. Remember, I reported the Nationals want at least four to five top young players, whether they're prospects, major leaguers with low service time, some combination of elite guys. Now, when it comes to Castillo, what the Reds got was two elite prospects, two shortstops, in fact, one who might move off shortstop, Noel Marte, and Edwin Arroyo, who was really highly thought of. And they also got a pitcher that they like, Levi Stout, and another pitcher in the deal as well. That was a strong haul. If Luis Castillo is worth that for one-plus seasons, what is Juan Soto worth for two-plus? Is it double that? I don't know. Can any team do that? I don't know. Again, I will say, as I've said all along, if there's a team I would bet on here, it's the Padres, simply because A.J. Preller sort of considers Soto as his holy grail, almost signed him as an amateur. He's had his eye on him ever since, understandably so. This is one of the great players in the game today and maybe of all time. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nationals, actually is willing to trade Soto and make that move. That's going to be on his record, right? It's not an easy trade to make. If you look back at the Scherzer-Turner trade last year, some people in the industry thought he didn't get enough. Well, you trade Juan Soto, (laughs) you're going to need to get a lot. Mike Rizzo knows that. Then there are the owners, the learners. If you remember, a couple of years ago, they vetoed a trade for Bryce Harper when he was a rental player, essentially. Trade to the Astros. Are they going to want a trade of Juan Soto to be one of their last acts as owner? These questions are all out there. The one thing we don't know is the impact of the sale. Are there prospective owners? Do the Nationals have someone identified that is telling them what they want? Impossible to know. So with that, I want to talk a little bit also about Castillo and that trade which set the bar, raised the bar, for the starting pitching market, which was already thin and already kind of problematic for teams looking for quality starters. I talked about that package. Frankie Montas, very similar pitcher. If I'm the Oakland Athletics, I want a similar package. And I'm probably going to get it given the competition. If I'm the Miami Marlins, I'm putting Pablo Lopez out there with two-plus years left as opposed to one plus with Montas and Castillo and I'm seeing what I get if I'm the Giants Carlos Rodon yes he's a rental I put him out there Nathan Avaldi with the Red Sox same thing I want to exploit that market if I have starting pitching to trade and there are other rentals as well Syndergaard Quintana right down the line but there is such demand for starters right now Tim 
then we may see some other deals like this. Now, the Cardinals GM, John Moselock, was quoted today as saying, well, not all returns are the same. Each deal is different, and that's true. But that return for Castillo is sitting out there. And again, if you're the Oakland A's, if you're Billy Bean and David Forst, I don't know that you're taking less. So with that, let's get to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, you can call us 646-543-7072 or the email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And Ken, you mentioned the Padres. You mentioned A.J. Preller. Well, the first question we have is actually a proposal that includes Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. Hey, Ken, let's play. Let's make a deal. Uh, this is Reggie Deal from the Austin area. That is actually my last name. If I was ever a general manager, you guys would have a blast with this. But I want to throw a scenario at you that I've been playing with today, and this would uh, break baseball Twitter. Juan Soto goes to San Diego. Fernando Tatis is sent from San Diego to New York, the Yankees. Washington gets the top two New York prospects, Volpe and Peraza, as well as the outfielder, Domingos. They also get Abrams, Hassel, two Padre prospects, and the pitcher, Mackenzie Gore. Snell would also go from San Diego to New York, and Washington would take on the contract of Hosmer. Crazy or not? Reggie, it is certainly creative. Now, is it crazy? I wouldn't say it's crazy. I would say it probably would not get done. And I took a look at this from each team's perspective. The Padres would get a lot of financial flexibility. You're right. Certainly, they're getting rid of Tatis's contract, which I don't think they want to do, actually. And Snell's contract and Hosmer's, which is something they want to do. Those two, they would gladly probably move, although Snell's pitched much better of late. They're also giving way too much up. They're giving up some of those top prospects we've talked about, Abrams and Hassel and Gore, and you said a couple more. So I don't see it from their perspective. From the Yankees' perspective, they're giving up three of their top prospects, Volpe, Peraza, and Dominguez, for Tatis and Snell. Now that's taking on too much money and too much risk. Frankly, I love Fernando Tatis Jr. as much as any player I've seen in recent years, he's right there with Soto for me. But let's face it, he has been hurt quite a bit. So you still got him for many, many more years. So to me, that's too much for the Yankees to take on, and they're giving up all that prospect value as well. And Washington, they would be extremely happy with this deal. They're getting the top prospects from the Yankees and the top prospects from the Padres. They'd be sitting pretty. But... Even though they'd be taking on Hosmer's money, I don't know that it would ever just work out that way. It just seems to me that there's too much going on here. I like the ideas. I like what you're doing. You're putting money with players. That's what teams do. You want to buy a prospect? This is how you do it. You take on Eric Hosmer, right? But in the end, Reggie, while it is not crazy, I just don't think it would work. And Reggie, you are right. It would break baseball Twitter. (laughs) That's true. 
Next question comes from Matthew Steele. He says, recently the Braves lost Adam Duvall to season-ending wrist surgery. Do you think there's any way that the Braves could get in the Juan Soto sweepstakes? While the Braves' farm system is somewhat depleted, they still have a few pitching prospects that don't look like they're in the long-term future, and they could take on the contract of Patrick Corbin and possibly fix him. They also could trade Ozuna and retain most of his contract. While this might not make sense, it would instantly make the Braves' offense the best in the league. Looking forward to your answer i assume alex anthopoulos is at least making the call he's the braves president of baseball operations he's one of the more aggressive gms or executive types in the game these guys call on everything they think about everything they consider everything the way you proposed it that would be taking on too much money the braves run a pretty streamlined operation remember they did not resign freddie freeman to get the younger less expensive first baseman in Matt Olson. I don't see how you get rid of Azuna unless you take pretty much all of it. So you're asking them to do that, to take on Corbin, to take on Soto, who is not going to be cheap, by the way. He's $17 million this year. The remainder of that probably go to $22, $25 million next year, and then maybe 30 in his final year of arbitration. So while it's a good idea, I don't know that the Braves have the prospects to do it right now, and certainly... I don't expect that they would take on that kind of money. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, next question comes from a disgruntled Nationals fan. That is disgruntled assuming Juan Soto is traded. Here you go. Hey, Ken, this is Elias. Um, I was wondering, so I'm a Nationals fan, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, pretty furious they're very likely going to trade Juan Soto. And I'm not really interested in the, like, the logistics of that or the um, where he's going to go. Um, I'll probably maybe take a break from baseball for a year or so if and when that happens. I just want to know, um, whose fault is it that they're in this position? Um, that where they, they have a really depleted farm system that, you know, they does not produce prospects at the rate of others, um, that they haven't built the team very well around him. You know, a lot of the people, the prospects they trade for don't really work out. Is it the GM? Is it the owner? Um, who, who should I blame? And, and feel free to give multiple answers, but thank you. Fair question. And certainly the Nationals are not in a great state right now. And the one thing you didn't mention that I kind of thought you would was the fact that they had Bryce Harper, he's gone. They had Anthony Rendon, he's gone. They had Trey Turner, he's gone. And now Juan Soto might be gone as well, if not by this deadline. Certainly in the offseason, I don't know that they're going to play it out with him. I would doubt that. That ultimately comes back to payroll management and ownership. 
They should have made, perhaps with Turner, a better offer. Rendon the same. Harper was a Boris client. I don't know that he was ever going to sign. He was going to be a young free agent, much like Soto. Those are the most valuable players in the game, and that's why Scott Boris, who generally encourages his clients to hit the open market anyway to maximize their value, that's why he wanted Harper as a free agent just as he wants Soto as a free agent. That's an understandable financial consideration. As for the state of the farm system and the rest of the roster, the roster construction, that does fall on Mike Rizzo, who has largely done a really good job. This team won the World Series in 2019 with a miraculous, amazing electric run. And they've done some great things internationally. Drafting has been not so great lately. So, yeah, that's where it goes. And if you want to go move by move, you could really get into it and analyze it. But in a general sense, you're asking who's to blame for the state of a team. That is always the general manager. Almost always. I wouldn't say the state of the Oakland A's is the fault of the management there. They want to try, and the ownership does not. But in the Nationals' case, they've put a pretty good effort forth. They did choose to rebuild last year, and this is the start of that process. So other teams go through this. It's not surprising that the Nationals have, and perhaps it's not even fair to judge Mike Rizzo when they're really just starting out in this process. But at the same time, when you ask that question, sure, the responsibility goes to the front office. All right, we got lots of voicemails this week, which is great. And here's another one from another Braves fan. Hey, Ken and Tim, this is Lee, Atlanta Braves fan, long-time listener, long-time question asker. In light of all that we saw at the draft and at the trade deadline here, uh, what do you think are the positions and the types of players that are most valued and most undervalued by the current baseball market? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Bye-bye. Lee, I like the question. Good one. I don't know that I would go by positions. I would go by skills. And the skill that is most valued right now, the attribute that is most valued both on the offensive and pitching side, is power. Power at the plate, power on the mound. That clearly is what gets players promoted to the major leagues, paid in the major leagues, and it is what defines the game today. All these pitchers throwing 100, all these hitters giving us these great exit velos, that's where it is. What is undervalued, in my estimation, is kind of the opposite of that. What the scouts call pitchability, the ability to pitch, not just overpower guys, to mix in different pitches, to hit different locations, all of those things. From the offensive point of view, it's kind of the same thing. The actual bat-to-ball skill, the ability to manipulate the bat, hit the ball to all parts of the ballpark, and not just over the fence. These are the things that, to me, need to come back into the game more, and perhaps they will with shift restrictions coming, and perhaps with limits on the size of pitching staffs. We've seen the limit go to 13 this year. It may go to 12 in the future, not anytime soon. And that causes teams and pitchers to perhaps exert themselves less than they would have otherwise because they've got to pitch more. It's a smaller staff. So that's how I see it. I'm sure others might view it differently, but in my opinion, 
I want to see the game get back to a point where we're seeing more baseball skill and not just power. Now, power is a skill, I get that, but I'm talking about the all-around game, the nuances of the game, all of the wonderful things that players can do besides throw hard and hit the ball hard. All right, next question is a voicemail. It's from our old friend Bill Chuck Ken, and it's a hypothetical, and I will say before we hear the question that it kind of reminds me of uh, professional soccer and the ability to loan players out to other players, but it's a, it's an interesting hypothetical from Bill. Here you go. Hey, Kenny. Hey, Tim. It's your old buddy, Bill Chuck, once again with a question. You've spoken quite articulately about the player to be named later. Here's my question. Is there anything stopping the Angels at this trade deadline, or any team for that matter, but sticking to the Angels, from trading Shohei Otani for three prospects for the rest of the season, as well as a player to be named later, with the player to be named later being Otani. So the trade would be Otani to a contender for three prospects and a player to be named later whose name is Shohei Otani. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Tim. Hope all is well. Bill, you've got great ideas always. I've known you forever, and this does not surprise me that you thought of this one. Now, let's start with the notion that the player to be named can subsequently be traded back to his original team. That is certainly legal. It has happened a few times in baseball history. I'll give you the names. This is from Wikipedia. Harry Cheaty traded from the 1962 Mets. From the Cleveland Indians for a player to be named, teams could not agree on a final deal, so the Mets traded Cheaty back to Cleveland. A guy named Brad Golden, similar thing. Dickie Knowles, if you remember the pitcher, traded from the Cubs to the Tigers in 1987 for a player to be named. Same thing as with Cheaty. Teams could not agree on a final deal. Knowles goes back to the Cubs. And then John McDonald, this is the most recent one. July 22, 2005, traded from the Jays to the Tigers for a player to be named subsequently reacquired by the Jays that November in a cash transaction completing the trade. So, in theory, I imagine that kind of trade would be perfectly legal. My question is, why would any team getting Otani want to give him back? One of the appeals of Otani is that you get him not just for this season, but for next season. And if you're going to give up any level of prospect, or even major league player, you're going to want to keep him. And from the Angels' perspective, okay, they get Otani back, but really, they know, I think, or at least they're getting an idea based on his comments and just based on their situation, he's not going to re-sign with them. That's my opinion. It's not fact, but a reasonable person can draw that conclusion. So if they're going to trade him, they need to max out that trade. I don't know if they can do it before the deadline. I don't think they intend to do it before the deadline. But this offseason, it is something they almost have to explore. And it would be an easier trade to make in the offseason because they will want major leaguers in return. They're not going to rebuild. That's not what the Angels do. They've still got Trout. Still got Rendon. So what they intend to do, if they do this, would be get major leaguers back. And that's a lot easier to do in the offseason when a team that would trade for Otani and trade major leaguers could backfill with other players that they would acquire in other ways. It's a lot harder to do that if you're a contender at the deadline when you'd be essentially ripping up your major league roster. 
Uh, all right. Next question comes from James Cloud, and it's another Angels-related question. I remember when Albert Pujols signed with the Angels in 2012, there was a 10-year, $10 million personal service contract, which was to begin upon his retirement. I was wondering what this was going to look like in the light of the fact that he's been DFA'd by the Angels and returned to the Cardinals. I know these service contracts have since been disallowed, but I would think this one is still in effect. It's part of the contract. I'm sure it's still in effect. Now, how it's going to be handled, James, that I don't know. Might the Angels simply say, Albert, here is a payout. You don't have to fulfill this contract. Might he fulfill it? I just have no idea. Obviously, it did not end well for him in Anaheim. It was not a pleasant parting. He was upset. These things often end like that, right? But he does have that personal service contract. As time passes, perhaps he'll be more open to doing that. But man, now that he's back with the Cardinals, if he's going to do anything post-career, I would think he'd want to do it with the Cardinals. So maybe they could trade the personal (laughs) services contract. I don't know. But at the same time, (laughs) that's something that, yes, will need to be resolved, and it's a question I'll need to ask at some point. Good question. And I would imagine Albert will end up with some kind of pretty good check out of it, whether it's $10 million or not, I'm not sure. But something something will work out well for him. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Here's uh, one more question from Matthew Jenkins. What do the Braves do with Ian Anderson? 48 walks in 95 innings, a 5.31 ERA with the Braves, locked in a tough race with the Mets. Is it a better option to send him down to AAA to figure things out, much like they did with Kyle Wright a year ago? Well, you asked this question before his performance on Saturday night, which was really good. Six scoreless innings, only (laughs) one hit allowed, nine strikeouts, one walk. That's against the Diamondbacks, not one of the better teams, I know, but... 
that's an impressive pitching line. There's no question about it. So ideally, this is what they want. They want Ian Anderson to get back on track. If it requires a demotion to AAA and perhaps the promotion of Kyle Muller or someone else, sure, they can do that. But Ian Anderson has proven himself in the regular season, in the postseason. He's still so young. I don't know that he's a finished product. And at times, even the best pitchers take their lumps. So this, to me, is something that the Braves want to see just resolve as it's hopefully resolving as of Saturday night. He's 24 years old, this guy. He's done a lot already in his career. But it's never going to be perfect for any player, and perhaps this was just a bump he needed to get past. We'll find out. All right, we will end it there, Ken. Uh, if you want to get involved next week in the post-trade deadline world, the number is 646-543-7072. You can email us at Show at gmail.com. I talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but a little bit different this week. This show is going up early, and then Starkville will be live on Monday afternoon. Jim Bowden joining that one to talk more about the trade deadline, and we'll have a live stream at 5.30 Eastern time on Tuesday. Derek Van Riper and Eno Saris leading the charge with that one, uh, and then that will become the Wednesday episode. Check out the description of this show to see the link to that YouTube page, but it's going to be a lot of fun over the next couple of days. Ken, I know you're up late recording this, but I'm sure you're going to be up late a lot over the next couple of days leading up to the trade deadline. Tim, you would be correct. Get the coffee maker going, and we will uh, we will be locked in to all your tweets and everything coming your way. All right, Tim, I'll tell you an odd Ken Rosenthal fact, one that actually shocked John Paul Morosi at the winter meetings one year when we were working together for Fox. It was a late night. We were at some place eating in, I don't know, 2 in the morning or whatever, and he wanted coffee, and I didn't have coffee. I don't drink coffee. My caffeine indulgence amounts to... A Coke Zero every once in a while, every couple of days. So I don't know. Probably I should drink coffee by now, but I don't. Sorry. All right. Well, I don't know how you do it, but <laughs> we'll keep it locked in. Uh, if you want to join The Athletic, you can do that for just $1 a month for six months to get all the great writing, uh, especially leading up to the trade deadline. But all year long, theathletic.com slash baseball show is where you can get that deal. Uh, we'll talk to everybody again next week. Ken, have a great week. Thanks to you too. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.